Have you ever made one of those decisions you wish you could go back and make again? Sarah and I, when we first got married, we made one of those decisions. You see, when we were on our honeymoon, uh, we went to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and we were in the midst of pristine beaches and wonderful scenery and incredible food. But we were enticed to attend this presentation because of the offer of a free meal. Well, who wouldn't want a free meal, right? So we attended the presentation and we received just what they offered. We got a free meal and, uh, well, this presentation was a really good one. Uh, it enticed us to consider what they were offering. And, well, who wouldn't want to go on a vacation every year, right? Well, we gave in and we bought a timeshare. You might say that we were right for the picking. Well, anyway, as we look back on that decision, it, it, it did cost us something. It cost us some money. But as we look at the first worst decision that Adam and Eve made, it cost a lot more than just a little bit of money. And from the very beginning, in the beginning, we see the presence of the Scarlet Thread. First off, I need to ask this question. Um, can I get a little love out there? Anybody else have any experience like like I'm talking about right there? Any? Oh, yes! Thank you! Thank you. Now, I won't make you admit which, which ones of you actually gave in. Um, we did, most definitely. Um, hook, line, and sinker. And then when we got home, then we started thinking about the consequences of our decision. You know, sure, we had the initial money to invest in this, and, you know, we're thinking, yeah, we could, we could make that payment every year or whatever, but, but then how are we going to get there? Well, we can't walk to Mexico. We, we have to fly, and that costs money, and, well, then we're going to want to take our kids. And, and, and when it all added up, it added up to there's no way. There's no way. At stage in life that we were at, so that was, as a married couple, I, 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 I think I could say that was our first worst decision right there. Um, I also need to apologize to my wife for, uh, sorry, I, I had to reveal that. It, it kind of went with everything. Um, you know, when we think about the Bible, uh, we oftentimes think of it in, re in relation to ourselves, in, into what it says uh, to us, what we can get out of it, what we can get out, with our, out of our relationship with, with Jesus Christ. And what I have found as I have begin, began to study this is that the Bible really is a lot less about me and a lot less about you and a whole lot more about God. More specifically, Jesus Christ and His mission of redemption throughout the course of history. And we're going to see that through this course of this, this, this series as we look at eight of the greatest, and I like to say events and not stories, because, you know, in our culture today, when you say, oh, that's a story, um, you, you tend to think that there is not some truth to it, that there's some, some part of it that's not really real. And, and the events that we're going to be looking, looking at are, are totally real, totally happened in real time, in real history, uh, as, we, as we look through them. So, uh, we're going to see that the resurrection, like we looked at last week, um, anybody, anybody last week, you know, during the sermon, was there any point in time when you thought I wasn't going to pull out that bottom piece? 
Um, I, yeah, um, but it's true. Um, our foundation is on the resurrection. And that was an actual historical event in time. Just like your birth and mine, um, there was a point in time uh, on the clock and on the calendar when that occurred. And we're going to see in uh, many of these things that we're going to be looking at the same kinds of things. Now, as I began studying this, I found new things. I found exciting things. I found out things that I didn't know about that that I thought I had a handle on. Um, I'm wrestling with some different things. Um, For instance, did you know, did you know that Native Americans immigrated to North America from Asia six years after Jacob and Esau were born? Did you know that? Did did you know that um, Troy, you know, the the big city, uh, or maybe it was a civilization, I don't know. I think it was a city. The city of Troy was destroyed in the Trojan War before Gideon. Uh, was even alive. Now, as I thought about those things this week, it was fascinating to me because I have tended in, in, in my lifetime to take, to take the events of the Bible, to take biblical history, and somehow think that that all happened, and, and then sometime later, all of the rest of our history happened. But, I mean, and I, and I actually, you know, I had um, some people at first service admit the same thing, so I'm not the only one in this room. Um, and we're going to see as we go along the timeline, this, this rope up here um, is, is representing our timeline. And, and it also represents the scarlet thread, or Jesus, the story of redemption through the course of history, through the Bible. So we're going to start today with our timeline. Now, where do you think that we should start? In the beginning. Very good, Mick. Turn to Genesis chapter 1 in your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one underneath a seat in front of the chair um, in front of you. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. This will be the easiest book for any of us to find the whole time during this series. It is the very first one. So if you just turn a few pages, you get past the introduction and the description of, of who translated your uh, translation, and you get to Genesis chapter 1, that is where we are going to begin. So point number one in your notes this morning is, In the beginning, God. And it says right there in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, God created. Okay? Three important things. Number one, in the beginning, who, God, what did He do? He created. Okay? So in the beginning, God created. He spoke things into existence. Um, The Bible says that He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let the oceans be full, and they were. And it it goes on through the creation story. We're not going to go through um, all of the days, but you can see there that God, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God said it and it was. So God, God created Okay, in the beginning God created, and also in the beginning God created everything. God created everything. Um, he created on an enormous scale. Uh, in fact, the size of our universe continues to expand 
not because it's growing, but because we're looking further and further and further into it, and we're seeing that it is more than we once thought. Um, our, our very galaxy is inexplicable. I mean, the, just the, the sheer size of it, and, and the fact that there are billions of galaxies um, our size and bigger populating the universe. It just, it just blows my mind. But everything was created by God. Um, it, it, it's also complex. Our life is extremely complex. Um, there are things, uh, for instance, uh, you know, remember last week when I said that, that, that the reality of life is what uh, tells us what to believe, not what we believe uh, defines our the reality. Um, I had listen to this. I had someone tell me, straight faced, as serious as ever to me, that that if they didn't believe in gravity, then it didn't exist. Um, in fact, they said, and we were on a like a second or third story um, floor at the time when we were having this discussion. They said that if they decided there wasn't gravity, that they could jump out that window and they would not fall to the ground. Now, think about that for a moment. And think about this. Do you think their belief would have defined the reality? Absolutely not. We know, we all know, if they jump out that window, it, it's a quick trip to the bottom. Why? Because gravity is the reality. It doesn't matter what they were thinking about it. Um, and, and that's going to be true as we go through all of these events in history. You see, uh, we, our life is incredibly complex. The human body, our cell structure... Um, in fact, I think complexity probably reaches further than we can even look. Um, you know, God created that. It's too complex to have happened by chance. Uh, it just, there's no way. Uh, without a creator, it would be too disorderly. I mean, our life is created with order. I just, I just read you uh, when God created the, the, the sun and the moon. Why did he do that? To give to help give order. I mean, that's why we have a calendar. We don't have a calendar because we decided this is what the days are going to be. We have a calendar because that's how God created it and that's how we describe the reality. God's the one that gave us four seasons. Um, I wish Wyoming had still had those four seasons. But um, God is the one that set all of that up. He created that. He created everything. How things grow, plant life, seeds, and and. This order that God created includes time and space. Now, I alluded at first service this morning that time and space began when God created the sun and the moon. Although I was told that E equals MC squared, which means that time and space are closely related. So whenever God created all of the space, that is when time began. But as far as time as I'm concerned, 24-hour period and that sort of thing, I know for sure that it had to be on the day that he created the sun and moon. It may have been before, uh, fine, but I know for sure that it was the day that he created the sun and the moon. 24 hours, time. God created that. So, as we look at time, what we see on this timeline that, that I have up here, and I'm going to put this right over here on the far left beginning of our timeline, is creation. Really? I practiced this earlier and it worked just fine. All right, there we go. Creation, the very, the very beginning of our timeline. 
Now, our understanding of God and the way that he is described in Scripture um, is that God existed before our time and space. He has always been. God didn't have a beginning. God is not going to have an end. So understanding that God has always been and God will always be, and that is the beginning of our timeline. And as we think about Jesus, who is our scarlet thread, the question that we want to answer right now is where does Jesus appear on our timeline? Does Jesus appear right down here at the very end, you know, just a couple thousand years ago at the cross? Is that when Jesus came? Well, it's when he came here. Did he, was he begotten then? Did, did, did he? No. He has always been, hasn't he? And we're going we're gonna to look at that here in a second as well. So, in order to uh, represent Jesus having always been, um, there is what I'm going to say is time. I don't know if it was time as we know it, but God existed way, way before we ever did. In fact, he always has. So Jesus, this obviously I couldn't make this go on into infinity. That would be too expensive. Um, but the truth of the matter is, Jesus existed before our time began. God didn't say, oh, about 100 B.C., oh, man, you know what? I was going to do this thing in history, you know, the resurrection. Um, I, I think maybe that this would be the time to do it. God, that, that wasn't a second thought that God had. Uh, look at this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He, Peter's talking about Jesus, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for your sake. He was chosen before. So even before God spoke a word to create everything that we know, he already knew how he was going to redeem us because he knows everything. He, he knew what this was going to look like. He created us. Jesus has always been and he knew exactly how he was going to redeem us. The scarlet thread is visible in creation. Okay, so in the beginning God created. In the beginning God created everything. And in the beginning Jesus is God. Okay, there's one piece of evidence from our text this morning that, that I think um, points to this fact. It's in verse 26 of chapter 1. Look at it right there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Interesting. Singular, plural, plural. Okay, God said, God, one God, okay, existent in three persons. Now that's the the best way that I can come close to describing the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. I don't know how it works. Um, I'm not God. But, but I can tell you that what He tells us is trustworthy, and He says right there, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Jesus was just as much a part of creation as God the Father was. First John, or actually chapter John, the book of John. Turn with me to the book of John. Uh, it's, in, it's the fourth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So if you go to your Bible and you go about two-thirds of the way and you open it up, and if you see Matthew, skip over three books and go to John chapter 1. 
John chapter 1. Now we know that John was an eyewitness. John was an eyewitness to Jesus as a man. He talked with him. He lived with him. He traveled with him. He was taught by him. He watched him die on a cross. He knew that he was dead. And then sometime later, he comes face to face with Jesus again, having risen. Jesus resurrected. This is what John says. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning... Same words as Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And you will notice in your translation that the word, Word, is capitalized. Proper name, speaking of Jesus Himself. Jesus, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Him, Jesus, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And then if you skip down to verse 14, it says right there, and this is what John's talking about. He's eyewitness to this. The Word, Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. I saw Him. I spoke to Him. I saw Him die. I saw Him alive. So Jesus... Existent as God beyond and before our time even begins. And then God creates. God creates. So we've established so far that God has always been, that Jesus is God and that God created all things, including man, including Adam and Eve. If you look in your Bible there, back, flip back to Genesis. Hopefully you kept your finger there you'll see that God formed Adam. God created, verse 27, man in his own image. All right, where's the other one? I'm, I'm missing it. Here we go. Um, chapter 2, verse 7, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up. The Lord God, verse 7, formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God created man. He created our ancestors. He created our ancestors. Then, it says, He created him in His own image, meaning with, with attributes of Himself. And then, God placed Adam into the Garden of Eden. Now, I always thought that Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden. Until I read a book one time, and this author mentioned that, and I thought, wait a minute, no way. That can't be right. Adam and Eve... Adam and Eve were created in the garden. So I went back and I read, and I read that where it says that Adam was created out of the dust. And then uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9 says this, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So God created Adam out of the dirt, out of the dust, out of the desert. Maybe it was like Wyoming. And he had created a, 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 a garden somewhere, and he placed the man, into that garden. 
The Lord God, verse 9, made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then, as the story uh, uh, continues to occur, um, Adam is lonely. He names all of the animals. um, Still lonely. God puts him to sleep, removes a rib from Adam, and creates Eve. So I don't know if this is, is why Eve is so beautiful. She was... Eve was, Eve was created and formed in the garden, lovely garden with all of the trees and flowers, and Adam was created in the desert. I don't know if that has any significance or not. Probably not. Um, but that's the, way, that's the way it happened. Um, so God, from the very beginning, um, none of us in this room are chance beings. From the very beginning, God created man and woman. Male and female, He created them. And when I think about that, when I think about uh, this event in the Garden of Eden, it just makes me smile. I just, it just makes me happy to think about God and how He created, how He spoke it and it was, and, and how good it must have been. You know, I, could you imagine even being in this garden? I mean, they were blessed by it. it, it they had everything they needed. They had all the food they needed. They had the shelter. They they didn't have to worry about safety. Everything that they needed was in the garden. It says uh, that they were naked and they felt no shame. They had everything. Everything that they needed. It was perfect. And it was easy. It was easy. They had one rule. One rule. One We have like a dozen before we even leave the house in the morning that we have to follow. They had one. God told them, look, I have given you everything in the garden except for the one tree. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do it. Do not eat from that tree. How hard could that be? One tree. You got all these others. Don't eat from that tree. Well, That tree that God placed in that garden was a test. It was a test for Adam and Eve. Um, Some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, God God doesn't test us. No, God does test us. God doesn't tempt us. Okay? God tests us. Um, God does, in fact, test us to be sure of our faithfulness and our love for Him. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the first test. It was the first test. And there is a difference between testing and tempting. Um, God tests us into a positive outcome. Tempting is always into a negative. God wants us to succeed. God didn't want God, God didn't want them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but He wanted to know that they would listen to Him and that they would obey Him and that they loved Him. Um, Deuteronomy chapter eight verse two says this: Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these forty years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. God tests. And then if we skip down to verse 16, it says, He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Now, we've all taken a test, right? Um, And every teacher... No, let me rephrase that. Every good teacher does not test to fail their kids. They test to make sure the kids know what they should know. And they, trust me kids, 
Your teachers pray for you to pass their test. They want you to pass their test. A test is a positive thing in this sense. One rule. One test question. Obedience or disobedience? So what happens? So what happens? Adam and Eve make the first worst decision. And they make that decision because of temptation. They make that decision because of temptation, which is different from a test. A temptation is an attempt to intentionally deceive and cause to fail. Intent to evil. And that's exactly what Satan had in his mind to do. You see, he wanted God to be... uh, Satan wanted to be like God himself. I don't know why he came to this conclusion. What I don't know. He was a created being. Just all of the angels, they were all created beings. And Satan gets this idea that he needs to be like God. I believe Isaiah 14, 12 through 15 describes how it happened. Um, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low to the nations. You said in your heart... I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. That was Satan's attitude. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. It didn't work out so well for him. You know, it's obvious but I just want to remind us that the scarlet thread was present when, when, when Satan tried to overthrow God. And I don't know if that occurred here. I don't know if that occurred here. I'm missing a couple things. Um, I don't know if Satan's fall occurred here or if it occurred somewhere in here, but it, it did occur. In fact, um, Jesus was witness to it. He says this in Luke. Put it up there. Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I was there. I saw him make that decision. So with revolt already present in the universe... Satan, not able to accomplish what he wanted to himself, has been cast out of heaven, now turns his uh, focus to what God has created. And he sets out to destroy it. Uh, Let's take it up in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent, Megan quoted this verse, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, what did God really say? What did God really say? Uh, Flip back to to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. This is what God said. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. God said you can eat from all of these other trees. Don't eat eat from this one tree. And if you eat of that one, you will certainly die. Well, here's how the woman responded 
to Satan when, uh, to the serpent when he asked her this question. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. She was right there. But God did say, You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. So she answers correctly and incorrectly. She, she knew what God had said, don't eat from that tree, but then she sort of one-upped it and said, well, and I'm not supposed to touch it. So Satan is already getting in her head, getting her to kind of twist and, and question what she knows. Did, did God say don't touch it? He didn't say that. And I think that would be a good idea. But we don't know that God said that. He didn't say don't touch it. So Satan now feeds her a lie buried in a small truth. Look at verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. That's the lie. That they would certainly not die. Because God said that they would. Satan is essentially calling God a liar. He's saying, God is wrong. He's, he's holding back on you. He's not telling you the truth. And we know that in eating the fruit, it certainly didn't bring good things to Adam and Eve or to the rest of us. So Satan is calling God a liar instilling a lack of trust in God for her and appealing to her desire to be more than she was created to be. I want you to write this down. A desire to be more than she was created to be. A desire to be more than she was created to be. God didn't create Adam and Eve to know good and evil. They only knew good. At this point in time, in history, all they knew was good. God said, don't eat of it. So Satan feeds her a lie. Then he says this in verse 5, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's the truth. They would know good and evil, but they weren't meant to know it. God was protecting them from that. And in deceiving them in tempting them Satan is wanting them to become something they weren't created to be see God knows good and evil and at this point Adam and Eve haven't sinned yet they haven't disobeyed they are living in perfection God knew the effects of them knowing good and evil and then what happens Genesis chapter 3 verses 6 and 7 when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, how many times have we justified our actions with those thoughts right there? And also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. They did it. They did exactly what God didn't want them to do. Adam, Adam and Eve disobeyed and in their disobedience brought sin into the world. So, consequences begin to happen. Look at verse 7. It happens exactly as Satan said it would. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. They got exactly what Satan promised them. Now they know good and evil. 
And they know the evil that they have done. They have disobeyed God. And, and now they know they're naked. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Shame, um, disappointment in one another that are entering in. And so they, they, make, they sew fig leaves together and they make coverings for themselves. See, they did what God said not to do. They weren't supposed to know. But they wanted to be like God. And we continue today to suffer the consequences of that first worst decision. Because we are all sinners. Every last one of us. We all know good. We all know evil. And we choose evil. See, we don't have to learn as little babies to manipulate our parents. We're not taught that. We don't go to manipulation school. That's a part of our nature. That's a part of who we are. We don't have to learn to disobey and not do what our parents tell us. It's in our nature. Now, a couple consequences really quick. Childbirth is very painful. God says to Eve, because you have done this, childbirth is going to be very difficult and very hard and very painful. He looks at the man and he says, look, um, work is going to be full of toil and struggle for you now. Now, man was put in the garden to work it, but at that point in time, work wasn't hard. <laughs> it was good. You know, we all have some of that work. Work that's good. It, it, it gives us a, a sense of accomplishment. But there is also that work that, that we have to do to put food on the table. And he mentions um, weeds and thorns and thistles, and we are very familiar with those things in this part of the world. In fact, this church isn't really, you know, agriculturally related other than that you guys come here and we've got all kinds of weeds and stuff that we have to put up with. It's hard and that's a consequence of sin. And then there's something else that entered creation that hadn't been a part of it before. What was it? It was death. It was death. Two shadows of the necessity for sacrifice are already present even right here in the beginning and we haven't even left the third chapter of the first book yet. The first one is mentioned when God delivers the curse to Satan and he mentions the striking of a heel and the crushing of the head. And I know you would really like me to explain that to you. I'm not going to. Here, Pastor Ty has already explained it. It's on the second look video for this week. So get your smartphone out. When you get home, jump on your computer, go to our website, go to Second Look and watch, watch today's. Pastor Ty will describe the meaning of the striking of a heel and the crushing of a head. Now the other is in Genesis chapter 3, verses 21, 22, and 23. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. It seems to me that God rejected the coverings that Adam and Eve had made for themselves. In an attempt to cover their own shame, Adam and Eve fashioned their own coverings. And God said, you know what? You can't cover yourself. It is impossible. The only way for a covering to be adequate is if there is sacrifice. And so, in a, and, and a, it's just briefly mentioned, some commentators make a big deal about it, some don't. I just want to briefly mention it here. The first, the first action that God takes 
because of the consequence of Adam and Eve's sin when it comes to death is to kill an animal to make a way for them to cover up their shame and guilt. Um, I, that's the only, I don't know any animals that can give their skin up and still live. So death entered in right there. And God sacrificed. It, the first sacrifice that ever occurred in order to cover the sin of humans, of us, was right there in the garden at the very, very beginning. And God continues His act of redemption throughout the course of history. And we're going to see that more clearly each week as we look at a different event going forward towards the end. Now, we're not going to get clear to the end. We're not going to get to the present today. But we're going to work as far as far to the west or to, to present history as we possibly can. Now, as we close, I want everyone to turn to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to look at two verses. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Because see, Paul sums up what happened in the very beginning and what happened that we just celebrated last week. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Consequently, Paul says, just as one trespass, one disobedient act, and that's the only one that was possible, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation, for all people coming thereafter. So also, one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. That's the scarlet thread. Jesus the whole story of the Bible is about redemption. We see it in, on every page. God redeeming His people. God loving His people. Working towards that moment in time when it was the right time for Jesus to come. And isn't it interesting that our calendars, some would dispute this even today, but that our calendars, you know, the whole B.C. and, and A.D. thing, it's Jesus. Jesus. So our scarlet thread, present for all time, all time, He was obedient even unto the cross. And because of His death and His sacrifice and His resurrection, when we put our faith and trust in Him, we have hope today in our situation, just like they had hope in their day because they knew that God was already in the process of of redeeming his lost people. John Ortberg tells this story. My friend Jimmy and his son Davey were playing in the ocean down in Mexico, and while his family, his wife and his daughters, were on the beach, suddenly a rogue riptide swept Davey out into the sea. Immediately, Jimmy started to do whatever he could to help Davey get back to the shore, but he too was soon swept away in the tide. He knew that in a few minutes, both he and Davy would drown. He tried to scream, but his family couldn't hear him. Now, Jimmy's a strong guy. He was an Olympic decathlete, but he was powerless, caught in this tide. As he was carried along by the water, he had a single chilling thought. My wife and my daughters are going to have to have a double funeral. 
Meanwhile, his cousin, who understood something about the ocean, saw what was happening, and he walked, mind you, walked into the water where he knew there was a sandbar that he could stand on. He had learned that if you try to fight a riptide, you will die. So he walked to the sandbar, stood as close as he could get to Jimmy and Davy, and then just lifted his hand up and said, You come to me. You come to me. You know, that's what Jesus does, isn't it? He knows. He has the power. Trust me, He has the power. He started it all. And just like, you know, your mama used to say, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Jesus says to us, I brought you into this world and I can save you. I can redeem you. And He's done it throughout the course of history. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank You that, that when we put our faith and trust in You, we know that, 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 that we are saved. Lord, Your Word says that. And God, I thank You, I thank you that, that, that You are teaching me about You as we go through this series. And I pray that every one of us, Lord, would, would commit to these next seven weeks from today and that we would continue to see the truth of the events of history. There are many today, Lord, who would like to say that these events are just stories. They're not even really true. But God, I know. I know that we can trust Your Word. And I know that even from the beginning of time, even from the beginning of time, Your scarlet thread has been present. Thank You, Jesus. And now we want to worship You with this closing song. Amen.